Good evening, Crossbridge Brickle. It's good to be back. It's been a long time since I've been here, and uh, I'm glad to be here. There's actually old school Crossbridge Brickle here, right? There's Betsy, there's Carrie. So, yeah, what a perfect Sunday to come back. Uh, I feel like I have to introduce myself again because I don't know a lot of you, and you probably don't know me as well. My name is Felipe Assis. I am the senior pastor of Crossbridge Church, and I've been so happy and thankful to God of what God has been doing here through the life of this church in this neighborhood, in the city. And so I'm glad to be here and to give continuity to our face-to-face series. Uh, it's this series that we're going through. is a series that's based on encounters that Jesus has with a variety of people that are recorded in the gospel accounts. And each of those encounters give us an insight into the person of Christ. Uh, it reminds me, this story that we read tonight, the story of Zacchaeus, of an experience I had in my first year when I moved here. Uh, my wife and I, we moved here with our two daughters. Beth is here. Um, I think she's outside. And our two older daughters were three and two at the time. We moved, uh, and we were living at the apartments of downtown Dadlin. And uh, I was trying to build relationships. So one of the things that I did was, you know, I was uh, inviting, I'm actually meeting people, but inviting them to work out with me. That's a great opportunity. You get to meet others. And I remember I was driving to um, the LA Fitness on Sunset Place, if you've ever been there. And that's where I was working out. I was working out with a partner at the time. And uh, we were trying to push up our bench pressing weight, right? And so we were helping each other. That was our goal. And I remember I was leaving one morning, and he called me to say, man, I'm going to have to go to work a little earlier. I can't make it. I'm sorry. And so I'm driving up there, and I'm bummed, you know. I'm like, man, I'm not going to have a partner. I'm going to stay stuck in this old weight. This is the day that I was going to, you know, push it through. You know, I'm going to have to invite somebody at the gym to help me work out. So I walk in there, and I go into the uh, bench pressing section, right? And I see this guy, he's like strong, right about my age, and he's wearing this bracelet, this beads bracelet. And the beads are both green and yellow. And I was like, Jesus, thank you for sending another Brazilian to help me out here. I had just moved from Brazil. I don't know if you knew this about me, but I'm Brazilian as well. And so I'm heading up to the guy and I said, hey, are you Brazilian? And he says, no. It's like, you don't speak Portuguese. It's like, no then why are you wearing a beads bracelet with the colors green and yellow? And he goes, because I'm a Santeria priest. <laughs> and this is what we wear. And this is the mark. This is like sort of what it means to be a Santeria priest. It's like my cross right here. And so I start asking him. I said, okay. So we're here like, you know, this is the bench. It's right here. He's on one side. I'm on the other side. And I'm like, so what do Santeria priests do? And he goes and he starts explaining to me what he does. And I'm drinking water. I'm like, start spitting my water. He's like, what? What do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. I'm here to undo the stuff that you're doing. Um, But that doesn't mean that we can't work out together. And so we started to work out together. And we had a phenomenal time together. And it's interesting. you, You don't know what to expect when you meet new people, right? And this is what we see here in this story. Jesus has an encounter with a very unique individual He has unique physical features, and he's a unique person because he he lives in the context of his society, a very unique life. We read in the passage right there in the beginning that Zacchaeus, this man by the name of Zacchaeus, was a chief tax collector. 
a chief tax collector back in those days was a gangster. This guy is a certified gangster. Why? Because tax collectors were Jews, fellow Jews, that were ruthless enough that would attract the trust and the attention of Rome, and Rome uh, would um, hire them to collect the taxes from their own people. Now, Rome would give them a lot of freedom to collect their taxes any way they wanted to, as, as long as Rome was getting their slice of the pie. So as you can imagine, you know, this guy, he was not welcomed in his society. He was a persona non grata, and he lived a very, very dark life. He lived in the midst of other tax collectors, corrupt people. The text tells us he's a notorious sinner. He lived with prostitutes and parties all day long. And Jesus has an encounter with him. And one of the things that is very interesting about this series is that every time Jesus has an encounter with a person, regardless of their background, you're always amazed at how Jesus interacts with people. He always goes above your expectations. He always shocks not only the original audience that's observing him, but he shocks those of us who are reading about those facts. And it happens here as well. Because Jesus stops as he's going through the town of Jericho. He's going from town to town, doing his ministry, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons. And he's in the middle of a lot of action. And as he's going through that town of Jericho, he stops. And he looks up where this man was. And you say, okay, let's pause right there. If Jesus had an encounter with a terrible individual, like a, a person like Zacchaeus, what would you expect Jesus to say first to this person? You would expect Jesus to look at that man and say, hey, dude, repent. Look at all the horrible things you're doing to people. Stop doing those things. You would expect Jesus to say to him, hey, believe me. Change your life and follow me. Yet, what Jesus says shocks everyone. He says, hey, man, let's go have a party at your house. So much so that the people around him were shocked. And so much of the narrative that we read tonight centers around that encounter with Jesus at Zacchaeus' house. That's the main environment, the main space that's inhabited in this passage. And this space represents, obviously, relationship and communion with God, proximity. But there are two other spaces that the passage tells us about. One is, the other one is the crowd. That's another space that Zacchaeus could not inhabit. And then thirdly, there's the tree that Zacchaeus inhabits by himself. Now, what's interesting is this. I want you to understand that you see these three spaces, the house, the crowd, the tree. Can you picture that in your mind? You can only make it to the house, this quality relationship with Jesus, if you're willing to push through the crowd and climb up a tree. That's how it works. So let's look at each of these environments. First, let's look at the house environment. Let's look at the house environment. Now, we read, obviously, in, in verse 7, uh, right there, that the people complain, and they cast judgment on Jesus. When Jesus responds and addresses Zacchaeus in that way by saying, hey, come down, let's go to your house and party. Because back in that culture, as in our culture today, being in someone's home to break bread with them 
was something very intimate, something very personal. In our culture as well, like I think that uh, Americans have made an idol out of the house. We don't like to invite people over because we don't want to expose ourselves. We don't want people to see how we live. And it's costly too, so we want to spend any money. Uh, that's a content for another sermon, but it was the same principle applies. I mean, the same principle applies in that context as well. You wouldn't want to invite someone to your home, especially to share the evening meal with them, unless you wanted to be associated with them, unless you wanted to pursue a deeper form of a relationship with them. And so for Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, to invite a man like Zacchaeus, somebody on the outskirts of the filth of the Jewish society, to party at his own house was something, as you can imagine, very shocking. And, you know, biblical commentators will tell you that the language that it's used here, like stay and welcome and house and feast, conveys that Jesus not only went there to share a meal with him, but he actually went there as a guest and he stayed there for several days. As you can imagine, Jesus travels not alone, but he travels with his disciples. There's at least 12 of them. There's others that come out through the outskirts and are following Jesus. And a man like Zacchaeus opens the doors to his estate for Jesus and his followers to stay there for several days because he's interested in pursuing a deeper relationship with Jesus. So is Jesus. Two weeks ago, uh, my family and I, we vacationed up in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I don't particularly like Jacksonville, Florida. No offense to any of you here if you're from Jacksonville, Florida. It's kind of like a weird twilight zone. You don't know if you're in Florida or the deep south. It's like, what is going on here? Um, but we went up there because we have friends. And uh, there's this couple that we met here in Miami. I personally led the husband of Christ. He happens to be a doctor. And he got a good offer to uh, run a department at a hospital up there. So they moved. And, and then these other friends of ours that live in Seattle now, who we've also met at Crossbridge, flew in. And for one week, we were together under the same roof, all our children. Besides the dads, it was all girls, all right? All girls. I have four girls. The other one has two. The other one has one. So all girls, as you can imagine. And I remember walking into his house, his beautiful, large, brand new, renovated home. It's all white, white marble everywhere, white walls, white kitchen, white cabinets. And she decided to buy all white furniture with tan rugs, like expensive Italian stuff. And I walked in with my kids and I said, this is not going to go well. <laughs> and surely enough, by the end of the week, there were stains in the rugs and the couch. Every other day, we had to refill the fridge because everybody was just eating like crazy. And I was feeling so bad for them, but we were so, they were so happy that we we're there. It's like, no, 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 this is the greatest thing that has happened to us this year. This is the highlight of our year. Why? Because there's intimacy, there's proximity, right? We work and we feel like family. And when you have that depth of a share a depth of a relationship with someone like that, you always say and like invite them in and say, hey man, it's okay if your kids wreck my house. All right, it's okay if you empty my fridge. It's all good because all that matters is that we're growing deeper in our relationship with one another. And this is what's happening here with Jesus. See, Jesus is always bringing this idea of the house and the table to the forefront of his ministry. Always, always, always. He has come categorically. He's saying, I have come to feast with sinners. That is my mission. In chapter 5, he's caught once again, like earlier. He's, 
There's once again another account of Jesus being reprimanded for being in the house of another tax collector by the name of Levi. And they asked Jesus, why do you eat and you drink with sinners? And he gives them the same answer that he gives in this passage here. And that's, I have come for the lost. You know, there's some people that say, well, I'm not lost, Jesus. There's the point. That's why you're questioning. That's why you're judging. That's why you're criticizing. Because I have come from the lo- to be with the lost. And my relationship with them is characterized by feast, by being under the same roof, around the same table as they are. You know, and that goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. It's a big theme in the Bible of what it means to be in a relationship with God. If you go to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, in chapter 18, there is an account there of Abraham having an encounter with God. Abraham is in his house going about his daily business, and it's amazing. I swear, it's in the Bible. God shows up with two angels in human form at Abraham's house, and he's almost like standing next to Abraham and says, hey, What's up, bro? What's there to eat? (laughs) God. Abraham goes like, I don't know, Sarah, fix some food for these guys right here. And then Abraham has a feast with God and a couple of his angels at his house. Oh, my gosh. See, the prophets that came afterwards, when they were to encourage the people As they were facing the hardships of life, as they were discouraged with the world that surrounded them, the persecution, the oppression. You've been there before, right? In the moments of discouragement, when you're feeling low, you need that word of encouragement. The prophets were emissaries of God to encourage the people. And when they came, they encouraged the people by saying this, don't worry about it. I know there's a season of scarcity, but one day... God is going to come back and he's going to restore all things. And you know what it's going to look like? It's going to look like a party, a feast. Let me read you from Isaiah 25. It should be in the screen behind me. Isaiah says this, The Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. Get that? It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine, no wood bridge, and choice meat. That's the proof that God is not a vegan, okay? It's right there in the Bible. (laughs) There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. And and as as you continue to read the Bible, the last book of the Bible, right? You go to Revelations. In the last book of the Bible, Jesus addresses one of the churches in Asia Minor, and he extends this same invitation. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open to me, I will come in and I will eat with him and her. History will end in a beautiful, restored world. No more tears, no more death, no more pain around the table with the Lord. That's what it'll feel like. See, when you're with friends and you're eating together and you're like I was with with friends for a week, it feels like heaven. That's how it's going to be. That's the encouragement. That's what a relationship with Jesus looks like. And that's why Jesus and this in-between of what's about to come and what has happened and what God has promised, he is inviting sinners to feast with him, including this very famous passage in John 14 
where Jesus says he's finishing up his ministry, he's wrapping it up, and his disciples are not sure what's going to happen. He says, don't worry about it. I'm going to prepare you guys a place. And in my father's house, there are many, many rooms. And I always thought, what does Jesus mean that in the father's house, there are many, many rooms? And what does it mean that he has gone to prepare that type of house for us? He's building. Look, he's building a kingdom that's so inclusive. And he is ushering all kinds of people in. The people that we think that are out, the Zacchaeus of this this world, Jesus is inviting in. It's a house for the self-righteous bigots like the crowd. It's a house for notorious sinners like Zacchaeus. It's a house for the wealthy like the man that Jesus invites to follow him in last week's sermon. It's a house for the poor. It's a house for women. It's a house for men. It's a house for those who vote on the left and vote on the right. It's a house for Pentecostals and Presbyterians. It's a house for everyone. And that's why this invitation of Jesus This invitation is so, so special because he invites you into a relationship with him that's not judgmental. We all long to be in a context of relationships that are not judgmental, but sometimes we compromise love by avoiding confronting people with the truth. And Jesus' love is complete. He is not judgmental. He doesn't judge Zacchaeus before he goes to his house. He goes ahead and invites himself into Zacchaeus' house. But his love, even though it's not judgmental, it's transformational, that all of those who have been in a relationship with Jesus have been transformed. That's what you read in verse 8, right? What do you read in verse 8? Zacchaeus stands up in the middle of a party. And, uh, you know, I'm imagining all sorts of people around, dancing around with their goblets of wine. And he stands in this party and he says, Jesus, because he looks at Jesus. That's what the text tells us, right? He stands up and he looks at Jesus And he says, because of the way you treated me, because of the way in which you love me, I have been profoundly moved. But not only that, I have profoundly changed. And here's what I want to do. I want to give half of what I have away. See, the Bible only requires you to give 10% of that which you earn away. He says, I'm willing to give 50% away because of the way in which you've given. You've given me so much more, Jesus. And everyone that I have defrauded in this world, I'm willing to restore fourfold. See, the law only said that you had to restore somebody with a 20% interest. And he's saying, I'm willing to do that with 400% interest. His life is profoundly changed because all those who come in contact with Jesus are profoundly changed. But here's another great aspect of this invitation that Jesus extends to Zacchaeus and to all of us because he at the end of the day is the father's house with many rooms. There's hope in this invitation for life in the present and the future. You know, I know one of the things about Miami is this this is a very lonely city. I've uh, read this this article like a long time ago about this guy that lived in several different cities and he spent some time here in Miami and he leaves Miami, and he writes an article for the Huffington Post, and uh, he says, this is my experience of Miami. It's a bright city. There's, uh, there's a lot to do. It's very exciting, but I've never been in a lonelier place. It's a very lonely place. And with this invitation of Jesus, there's hope for relationship and intimacy and community, even though, 
life in the real world may still seem alone with Jesus. You are okay. It's all right. He's saying to you, I'm not just here with you in the good moments, the party times, but I'm here through the hard times, and I'm bringing joy into them. Who wouldn't want to be in a relationship with God that way? What a beautiful invitation to Jesus. But what did I say? In order for you to inhabit the house with Jesus, for you to be in this relationship with Jesus that's characterized by this house and this table in the middle of his living room, you have to be willing to push through the crowd. Now, the text tells us, the text tells us that uh, Zacchaeus was a notorious sinner, but the text also tells us something very peculiar about Zacchaeus. If you go to verse 3, you'll read that. And that is the fact that Zacchaeus was a very short man. And uh, I don't know if you've um, uh, been to Sunday school growing up. How many of you guys have been to Sunday school growing up? Little, little people's church, uh, little Miss Ginger's church. And uh, I remember the story of Zacchaeus on a flanograph, right, uh, board. And, you know, we sang this little song that we learned. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And he climbed up the sycamore tree to see Jesus. See, this story tells us that the reason why Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus was because he was short. It was that too. But primarily, the reason why Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus is because the crowd wouldn't let him. The crowd kept Zacchaeus away from Jesus because of the way he treated them all year round. So you're going to treat us like trash, and now you want, you want in to see the famous guy coming in through our town? No, 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 no. You're going to stay in the back, son. See, what kept Zacchaeus from Jesus was not the fact that he was short, but that he was a jerk. That's what kept him from Jesus. And you know what's interesting? When we look at the crowd, obviously the crowd, it's understandable why they would treat Zacchaeus that way, but they're also filled with self-righteousness. Because we tend to look down at people that are sinners. And we see ourselves as better than them. Our hearts do that in every direction, up, down, sideways. And you can see the self-righteousness of the crowd springing forth and that reproach of Jesus. And you know what's interesting? Instead of saying, okay, I guess I can't see Jesus. I'm going to go back home. He finds a way to see Jesus. He pushes through the crowd. He's looking for a vantage point where he can see Jesus across, above, from the crowd. You know, what some of you may be experiencing right now is you're interested in pursuing this Jesus. You're interested in looking into more intently about what it means to be in a relationship with God. But you know what's been keeping you away? The crowds. The crowds. How many of you guys seen the sticker, Jesus saved me from your followers? Right? You know, the reasoning, the reasoning goes like this. Christianity ought to be producing nice, good citizens, good people, but the people I know are not any of those things, so therefore Christianity must be false. That's a false assumption that you need to toss aside. Don't try to understand Jesus through the people that say they follow Jesus. Look at Jesus himself. You've got to be willing to do like Zacchaeus, to be relentless in that aspect and Push through the crowd and see Jesus for yourself. But I do understand if you've been turned off 
by Christianity because of the way Christians have postured themselves in our culture. In fact, I think this is the biggest problem with Christianity today is the fact that when you say that you're a Christian, the first thing that comes to people's minds is, oh, they're, they're, they're power hungry, they're, they're self-righteous people. Because Christians have postured themselves in a power hungry, self-righteous way in our culture. So I get you. And I was... Uh, I was um, Reading this uh, statement from Anne Rice, I don't know if you know Anne Rice. Anne Rice, you wrote, uh, she's a novelist, wrote The Interviews with the Vampire. And after she uh, finished that series, she came out and she professed her faith in Jesus. She had been raised a Christian, a Catholic, and uh, she had been drifting, she drifted from her faith. And later on, she comes back and she says she came back strong. And uh, she did that for about 10 years. And then recently, uh, she came out again in an interview, and, and this is the statement that she makes, all right? She says, um, today, I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being Christian or to being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, dispestatious, deservingly infamous group. For 10 years, I've tried. I failed. I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. And I know this is um, sort of like a, um, an emotional rant. Uh, it's, it's, it's not mature, but I get her. I understand her. I remember uh, this book that I read by Brandon Manning entitled The Ragamuffin Gospel. It's talking the true essence of the gospel. I encourage you guys to read it at some point. But, you know, in, in that book, Brandon Manning, who has passed away, I think, uh, two or three years ago, um, he has a very famous quote, very powerful along the lines of what we're talking about. Uh, he, he, he said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And so here's a couple pointers. First, don't be this type of Christian for someone else. Don't be this obnoxious, judgmental, self-righteous Christian. It doesn't help to put a huge Bible on your desk at work, all right? Don't be this type of Christian stumbling block for others. It just confirms their suspicion. But at the same time, be patient with people that are exploring Christianity. And when they come with critic, criticisms of Christianity, saying, look at that person, look at the other person, look at the stuff that was done in the name of Christianity throughout history. Say, forget all that, start with Jesus, go straight to Jesus. And if that's you, if you're exploring Jesus tonight, if this is where you find yourself in life, I say, toss all those things aside. And do like Zacchaeus. Try to find a vantage point and look at Jesus for yourself. How do I do that, Pastor? Go to the gospel accounts. Ask some people here. Ask Pastor Carter. He says, I want to know more about Jesus. There are vehicles, there are tools out here that are meant to help you to get to know Jesus for who he is so that you can ask the question for yourself, is Jesus who he said he was really? Get past the crowd, find a vantage point. Zacchaeus does that, doesn't he? He climbs up a tree. And I think there's something very interesting about this whole climbing up a tree thing. Because, you know, let me tell you this, that one of the things that may be keeping you away from Jesus, or one of the things that may be keeping others from Jesus is, uh, maybe you, but one of the things that may be keeping you from Jesus is the crowd. But here's another thing that may be keeping you from Jesus, your pride. You know, I think that this tree represents two things here in this story. 
this tree is a place of ridicule, it's a place of shame, and this tree is also a place of discomfort and pain. At first, it's, it's, it's a place of ridicule and shame, this tree, because, you know, trees are places that uh, kids go to. Are, are, you know, kids climb up trees, playful children. I, when I was a kid, I growing up in Brazil, I would climb up trees, coconut trees, you know, cashew trees, you know, jumbo trees. You don't know what that is, but that's good. You know, I would climb all, all sorts of fruit trees. Kids do that. When I grew up, I don't find myself climbing up trees. I'm not interested. When I go to some place and my kids want to climb up a tree, I said, what are you doing? Get down from that tree. You're going to break your neck, right? My copay is going to be so high if, you, if that happens to you. I'm not already thinking about the medical bills, right? Well, get down from that tree. You know, you grow up. You don't, that's what I'm telling my kids. Back in those days, wealthy, powerful Middle Eastern men, here's a, here's a male chauvinist culture, who, by the way, wore dresses at the time. They would climb up no tree for no circumstances. There was nothing for me to do up there. And so for a man like Zacchaeus, who's wealthy, who's powerful, who's wearing a dress, to climb up a tree is to accept a place of ridicule and of shame. People, I would imagine at the time, were laughing at him. <laughs> Look at the tax collector. It's a place of ridicule. But he's okay because he's committed to pursuing Jesus. He's already pushed through the crowd. And he's willing to embarrass himself in that venture. So he climbs up this sycamore tree. If you're willing to pursue Jesus, and if you're committed to pursuing Jesus for who he is, and you're pushing through the crowd, people are going to come at you and say, what are you doing, man, this alpha thing? man? Come on now, you're reading the gospels now, this ancient, old, moralistic literature. What are you doing? People are going to poke at you. People are going to make fun of you because they're going to say to you, this is a childish Act, why would you ever do that? This week I was um, listening to this episode on the American life because here's the reason why I was listening to it because Tim Keller and City to City, this organization that we as a church are a part of, were featured in this American life in an episode last week. So I was listening to it and it was interesting. You know, he's explaining what we do with church planting and you know how it works and you know, what are the tools behind it? But then I was interested in the, in the comment section, right? Like when you look underneath the, to, to read the comments, maybe 2% of the comments were positive. They were all negative. I don't know if you saw the comments. I, there was one particularly that I thought it was really funny. It says, I can't believe we're giving so much airtime, this much, this much airtime to people that have imaginary friends. <laughs> well, it couldn't come me like that. Imaginary friends, because to believe and to pursue faith, especially in Jesus, is a childish thing. It's something that's crazy, but that's okay because the Bible says, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, that the gospel is foolishness for those that perish. And you're never going to find Jesus, never going to find Jesus, if you're not willing to bear a little bit of the ridicule of what it means to search and to look for him. But secondly, I also said that the tree is a place of discomfort. I don't know. 
about that particular tree, but uh, I would imagine that if you sit on a branch for a long period of time waiting to see a concert or whatever, that would be very dis- discomforting. It would be uncomfortable after a while. And I was thinking about this because sometimes that's what it feels like to follow Jesus and to be in a relationship with Jesus, right? It's sort of like to be on a tree, sitting on a branch, isolated by yourself, and it's not comfortable. See, like, the stuff that Zacchaeus is now doing is not comfortable. Like, if I were to ask each of you to do what Zacchaeus did, give half of everything you have, forgive people, repent, you'd be like, wait, come on. That's too much. Like, it hurts us to give, like, 2% away of our income. By the way, that's the American average. But to give 50% to forgive others and, and to bear the ridicule, man, when I do the cost-benefit analysis, it doesn't add up. Why would I ever want to do that? It's an uncomfortable place to be with Jesus. Now you're saying, okay, pastor, stop right there. You're distorting the text. The text doesn't say that Jesus is with Zacchaeus up on the tree. The text tells us that Jesus is on the ground, Zacchaeus is on the tree, and Jesus invites Zacchaeus to come down, not to go up the tree with him. That's what's coming next. Because if you continue to read the gospel of Luke and all the other gospel accounts, towards the end of the book, it It becomes Jesus' turn to climb up a tree. A tree of shame, the utter tree of shame. The ultimate tree of discomfort. And he climbs that tree in the Mount of Calvary. And here's the thing. The only way that Jesus can look at Zacchaeus, someone that's exploring him, someone that's willing to bear the shame and the pain and the sacrifice, and say, Zacchaeus, come down, is because he's saying... Here's what I want you to come down because that is my place. I want to be up there for you. You come down with me so that I can be up there for you. And the only reason you can come down is because I'm willing to be up there for you. This is what the gospel says to us. That Jesus was willing to climb up the ultimate tree of discomfort and shame. To pursue that relationship with you. While you're saying, oh man, it's uncomfortable. I got to push through the crowd. I got to embarrass myself. Jesus has already been ahead of the game. And he's done that for you. And, and listen, when you understand this, when you understand this, some of the things that you think are very uncomfortable for you right now will suddenly become actually quite comfortable. Actually, you will be glad and joyful to give your money away. You'll be glad to open your house for others, to be hospitable to others, to forgive others because Jesus has done so much more for you. That's what you will get. And you will understand what it means to be up on the tree with Jesus. See, when you look at the cross, do you see Jesus there for you? And how does that translate to your life? When you understand Jesus doing that for you, you will get it. You will know what it means to pick up your own cross and follow him. Guys, I hope you make it to the house tonight, but you've got to push through the crowd. 
And you've got to be willing to climb up a tree. Are you willing? Let's pray.